See, the Christmas story isn't merely the story of, uh, of, 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 of the birth of a baby. It's not merely the story of a nativity. But it's God's great story of his rescuing love, invading human history and changing the world and changing your life and mine. Christmas is the story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. It is the story from, from the creation of the world to the creation of a people through Abraham. God is writing the story of his love and his faithfulness to humanity from from the, uh, from the chains that, that uh, the, the sins chains that enter the scene of human history in the Garden of Eden to the, to the chains of bondage in Egypt, God still continues to write the story of loss and suffering and pain through sin. From the, the, the writing of the story of, of, uh, uh, of the exodus out of Egypt and uh, to the reign of David, uh, and, and the coming of prophets and kings and exiles and remnants and uh, restorations, we hear the story of God's rescuing love ringing through the history that we see. And, and then from the very last word of the very last prophet of the Old Testament to the very first words that we read today in Luke chapter 1, God is writing the story of his love and his rescue invading human history to set the world right. And Christmas is that new thing that God introduces on the scene of human history that changes everything, that, that's changed our lives. That, that, that's the reason that we're here. The, the reason that, that we have gathered here and we celebrate and we sing and we praise and we give and, and we fellowship together is all because of God's rescuing love. So as we look at this first story with these first two characters, and every week we're going to look at, at all the characters of, uh, of, of the Christmas story and and as we look at these first two characters, we're going to discover not merely how it worked for them back then, but what, what God has done in history, in, in, in their lives, is what God is doing in our lives as well. In Luke chapter 1, we have the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Is that right? Yes. The story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And, and as we listen to God's word talking about these two individuals in the Christmas story, it's my prayer that you and I would begin to experience not only the plan that God has always had, and that is the same plan from Genesis to Revelation, his plan of loving rescue for sinners like you and me. But as we look at his plan and see the part of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we might also see our part in that plan. And as we see their, their, their part in God's plan and our part in God's plan, we might receive as they did fresh hope as we live in this world today. See, that is what Luke chapter 1 verses 5 through 25 introduces. It doesn't tell the whole story, but it introduces this plan of God's rescuing love that introduces a fresh hope for Zechariah and Elizabeth and for you and for me. 
The story of God's loving rescue through the person of Jesus Christ is a story that isn't new even to Elizabeth and Zechariah. They were expecting a Messiah to come. But it's something that they hadn't heard in a while. You see, there were 400 years of silence between the last prophet of the Old Testament and God beginning to speak in Luke chapter 1. They, they had God's word, no doubt. And, and Elizabeth and Zechariah, they were able to follow God's word. But, but you and I both know sometimes the, the, the words on the page need the uplift of something stronger and more powerful. And we have the advantage of the Spirit of God residing within us to awaken the pages of Scripture and apply them to our lives. And that's what I hope happens to you today. But for Elizabeth and Zechariah, they didn't have that advantage. And, and they were reading the words of the law and, and the, uh, uh, the prophets and the Psalms. And, and they were longing for something more. They were longing so, for fresh hope, not only for themselves, but for their people. They, they saw Israel and they saw the people of God and they saw the world around them. And they thought, oh, my soul, has it come to this? Can't there be something to invade our world to make it right? And don't you feel like that sometimes? And don't you look at the world around you and think, oh, my soul, can't there be something to invade this world and make it right? And friends, by the way, it's not going to come through the politics of our day. That something right can't be fashioned in the form of some governmental kind of, kind of invasion. It, it has to be something more powerful, more poignant. It has to be something that will change hearts, and governments can't change hearts. We need something stronger than that. Don't, don't you ever look at the world and think, oh, my soul, we need God to speak. We need God to move. We need God to act. And good news is that that's God's plan. It is God's plan. And, and, and his plan will bring with it a fresh hope for us, maybe even today. Let's look at Luke chapter 1, and uh, let's learn about this fresh hope uh, through the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Beginning in verse 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias. Of the division of Abijah, his wife was, the daughter, uh, was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandment, commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren, they were both well advanced in years. So it was that while Zechariah was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn uh, incense when he went into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of the incense and an angel of the Lord appeared to Zechariah standing on the right side of the altar of incense and when Zechariah saw him he was troubled and fear fell on him but the angel said to him verse 13 the angel said to him don't be afraid Zechariah for your prayer is heard your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of God, and he'll drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he'll also be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb, even while he's in his mother's womb. And he will turn many 
of the children of Israel to the Lord God, and he will go before God in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just or the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know? Dude, there's an angel standing right there. Seriously. Dude. Angel. How shall I know this? Seriously? Aren't we just so earthbound sometimes that an angel standing in front of us and we're acting like, well, how am I supposed to know this is really going to happen? Even Gabriel gets a little frustrated. I want you to, all right, so you got to read it. And and in the Greek, it's even more poignant. It says, how shall I know this? Uh, This is Zechariah. How shall I know this? I'm old and my wife is well advanced in years. Now that is a dumb thing to say. Not only does he say, how shall I know this? There's an angel standing in front of him, but he has the audacity to put in print for scripture for centuries, my wife is very old. That is a, that, that is a, that is not a very smart man. <laughs> Verse 19, the angel answered, now I want you to get Gabriel, Gabriel gets frustrated. I know he does. All right. So, so Gabriel said to him, dude, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent from God to speak to you and bring you this good news. I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of Almighty God. I appeared to you in a vision here in the sanctuary, in the Holy of Holies of the temple, and you want to know how you can know that this stuff is going to happen. Are you so serious? So what Zechariah was saying, I need a sign. Here's your sign. I need it. I need a sign. That's exactly, he was asking for a sign. And there are many people who have done this very same thing in scripture. And many of you have done the very same thing. I mean, God parts the Red Sea. Well, I need a sign. God speaks out of a burning bush. Well, I need a sign. God stops the earth on its rotational axis so that the sun looks still like it's not moving. And, and, and we say, oh, I need a sign. God pours bread out of heaven and quail out of heaven every morning for us to eat. Well, I need a sign. God pours out water from a rock. Well, I need a sign. God gives us his beloved son who dies on a cross and is raised from the dead and the tomb is empty and Oh, I need a sign. God pours his Holy Spirit within those who by faith have trusted Jesus so that we are now the living, breathing, walking temple of the Spirit of God. Well, I need a sign. Zechariah was asking for a sign. And so God gave him a sign. Verse 20. So behold, here's your sign. You will be mute and not able to speak until the baby's born because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Be careful asking for a sign. 
The people waited, verse 21, people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he uh, lingered so long in the temple. And when he came out, he could not speak. And they perceived that he had seen a vision in the temple for he beckoned to them and remained speechless. So it was as soon as the days of his service were completed that he departed to his own house. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself for five months because her husband said she was very old. Truth is, we don't know why she hid herself for five months. There's no tradition that says that that's what she should do. There's no custom that says that's what she should do. There was some reason she hid for five months, probably because she didn't want to hear people saying something. Or you know how some, uh, when you're, uh, you're, you're first, you, you first come, you, you first conceive and it's the first trimester and you don't tell anybody? Because you, you know, you're just playing it safe and you don't, you know, maybe that's what was going on. But we don't know why she hid herself. So I think it's because Zechariah said she was very advanced in age. And she didn't want to give way to anger and beat him about the head and shoulders. Um, so she hid herself for five months saying, verse 25, and this is, man, this is good. Thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach before the people. All right, now let's break this down and don't have a ton of time and, and, and really no need to take a ton of time, but I do, wanna, I, I do want us to walk through this uh, piece by piece. God has a plan of loving rescue that affects us personally. Now, his plan is bigger than me but it includes me. I I want you to get this because this is huge. God's plan of loving rescue is bigger than you. It's not designed merely to make you happy. God's plan of loving rescue is bigger than you. It's It's not merely to give you what you want. God's plan of loving rescue is bigger than you, but man, good night, it includes you. Woo! The king of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, has determined that I can be part of his plan. How do we know? Because Zechariah and Elizabeth. He looked on them and he said, okay, you're part of my plan. Now, it is this purposeful plan of a loving God that led Zechariah and Elizabeth to a season of suffering, though. See, See, because of God's plan... They had to wait to have John, the baby, Baptist. God's plan had to be at a perfect time. And so he postponed the answer to their prayer. They were praying, oh, God, give us a child. Oh, God, give us a child. Oh, God, give us a child. Why? Because verse 25, we see it was a reproach. It was a shame. For for Elizabeth in that culture, it was a painful experience not to be able to give birth. And, And I know some of you have experienced that. That same kind of pain. The difference was, and, and, and I'm not minimizing the pain that you experienced, but the difference was in, in Elizabeth's time, they actually said it was a curse. In, in her culture, it was, it was actually declared. They, they look at Zechariah, the priest, and said, well, he must be some bad kind of priest if he can't even get his wife pregnant. They look at Elizabeth, oh, she must have done something bad in her youth because she can't have a baby. I mean, and they believe that, and that's what they're... Now, that's not what God said. God didn't say that. That's what her neighbors said. 
Okay, So in her culture, it was a shame not to have a child, and it was a place of suffering for her and her husband. It was a place of torment for her and her husband. It was something that they needed relief from. They were praying the first day, the first week, the first month after their marriage. They're praying, oh God, give us a child. The first year, the first decade, the second decade after their marriage, oh God, give us a child. And by the third decade, they're, they're, they're probably still praying, but man, they're getting old. And God invades their world with fresh hope. God invades their, fresh wor- fre- their world with fresh hope because they are faithful. Now, faithfulness, and this is a principle that we need to take hold of, faithfulness creates an environment for hope to, to be unleashed in our life. Faithfulness to God is, is what creates an atmosphere for hope in our lives. Now, I want you to get the picture. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they are faithful. Uh, if, you, if you look there in, in, in verse, uh, verse 6, it says, it says, they were both righteous before God. That means that they walked in the ways of God, not perfectly, but consistently. They, they were walking in the commandments and the ordinance of the Lord and blameless. They, they, were, they were walking according to what God designed. They were living life according to God's design. And, and that's what faithfulness is. Faithfulness is when we live our lives based upon the way God says we're supposed to live our lives. Again, it's not perfection, but it's consistency. As followers of Jesus today, you want to experience hope in the misery of your circumstances. All of us have those seasons of drama and pain. Some of us are smack dab in the middle of them. Right now, we're suffering. We're, we're filled with heartache and distress. I, I don't know the name of your, uh, of your distress. I don't know the name of your pain, but you know it. And whatever the name of your pain, the description of your distress, understand that, that the only way that we can experience hope in the midst of that season of sorrow and suffering and pain, the only way we can taste hope, even when we're not getting the answers that we want, is through faithfulness to God. I know it, it, it man, that, that, doesn't, that doesn't sing very well. You know what I'm saying? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't make you want to dance any. I mean, here's, here's the message of verse 6. It says, keep doing what God wants you to do, and if God doesn't give you what you want. And you will have hope. Did you get that? Keep doing what God wants you to be doing, even if you're not getting what you want God to give you. And he will give you hope. The, the challenge for us is that, that again, we're, we're fast food Christians. We go through the drive-thru, we get up there, we say, we want our Big Mac with, with, with extra sauce and cheese, and, 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 and so, so we, we come through, and if they don't have it in, in, in three minutes, if they make us wait 10 minutes, we're, we're like out the door. I can't believe that. I'm never going back to that McDonald's. There's 10 minutes waiting for my Big Mac with extra sauce and cheese. And we expect God to answer us the way we expect those fast food clerks to answer us. But God's not a fast food clerk. He's not a short order cook. God, God is not exist at our beck and call. God has a purpose. We're part of it. 
But his purpose is bigger than we are. Because his purpose was to bring a Savior named Jesus on the scene of human history at just the right time, he postponed Elizabeth and Zacharias giving birth to a son for decades. But Zacharias and Elizabeth still saw their larger, the larger purpose of God in the midst of their own suffering, and so they were faithful to him. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes what happens is we, we begin to think, well, I, I'm faithful to God, and I'm faithful to God, and I'm faithful to God, and he's not giving me what I want, and so I'm going to stop being faithful to God and, and somehow get hope? Is, is it even possible to have hope if you're not being faithful to God? And the answer is no. We know this as little children. We sing it to our kids at Christmas time. As a little boy, I remember hearing this song, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not pout. I'm telling you why. Santa Claus is coming to town. Here's the scary part. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He sees you when you're asleep and he knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. Now, that's mean to sing to a little kid. Especially a little kid who has a lot of energy. The principle there of that song and the whole Santa Claus thing, if you're good, then you're going to get, you're going to get Reese peanut butter cups in your stocking. But if you're bad, you're going to get a chunk of coal in your stocking. Right? I mean, the whole principle is uh, he's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Santa Claus is coming to town. He's going to reward those who are faithful to him, or who are good, and he is going to not reward those who are bad. Now, I'm not making a theological statement here, and this is not a picture of who God is, but it does show us a principle that we know to be true. If I'm faithful to God, I have a better chance of experiencing fullness and and joy in life. If I'm not faithful to God, there's no way I can experience any kind of joy, peace, hope in life. If you could just get this, okay? And, and, And I know, look, I know it's hard sometimes, especially when you're in the midst of the drama of your own childlessness, and your faith becomes barren. And you're like, oh, my soul, I I keep praying and I keep reading my Bible and I keep talking to God and I keep doing what he wants and still I'm struggling and I'm suffering. Oh, God, why aren't you answering? And and I get that and I feel that and I feel that with you. But but I, I would only say this, the only way you're going to have fresh hope is through faithfulness to God. Even when he doesn't give you what you want. He will always direct you toward what you need. So if we're going to get on this trajectory toward hope, we need to be faithful to God. Please, 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 please be faithful to God. Stop living your life according to your own design. Stop living your life as if if you are the master of your own fate. Friends, that is idolatry, where you're the idol. You say, well, I, I can't believe that God's purpose would cause me to suffer. Really? Seriously? Have you read the Bible? 
I don't mean that sarcastically or snark, snarkily. But really, have you read the Bible? The Bible is filled from Genesis to Revelation, the stories of men and women, boys and girls, who pursue God's purposes, and God's purposes lead them through seasons of pain and sorrow and suffering. But they keep pressing on because they know that God's purpose, although it includes them, is bigger than them. Oh, that we, the church, would begin to see that God's purpose, which includes us, is bigger than us. And stop, stop elevating my personal happiness or comfort or pleasure above the purpose of God. Every Sunday, people gather and they sing songs of praise, but they commit idolatrous worship because they'd rather be entertained than worship God. They stop worshiping God because they're not being entertained. They elevate themselves to the place and the stature of God as if they're the ones who are sitting in this place to be worshiped. Anytime we elevate our own personal design or desire or happiness or pleasure above the purposes of God, we've made gods of ourselves. We said that we're the most important thing in the room. Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were faithful even in the face of their own suffering. And the second part that I want us to hold on to, faithfulness to God leads to an atmosphere of hope. But the second thing is, is hope in the, in the um, interaction, intervention of God creates a climate of joy for us. See, when you believe that God is moving, that's what gives you joy. When you know that God is on the move, you might not see everything. By the way, hope does not give us easy answers all the time. Hope says, I don't see when the answer's coming, but I know it's coming. Hope says, I don't know when I'm going to find some relief, but I'm going to get some before it's all said and done. Hope says, I believe in the goodness of God at work in my life, and God is going to intervene, and I may not see it, but I can believe it, and I'm going to believe it today. That's hope. Hope believes more in God than what our eyes and ears can see and hear. Hope is that anticipation of faith, knowing it's coming. But it doesn't always give us easy answers. But when we have hope in this intervention of God, it, it creates joy in our lives. So, so we, hear, we hear the angel talking about, about Zechariah and Elizabeth in, in verse, uh, verse 14. He says, and you will have joy and gladness. Two words, the different words in the Greek. One means a dancing kind of joy. Okay, you're going to have joy. And the other is gladness. Now, I'm not saying that's less dancey. But I am saying that term in the Greek points us always to the, the presence of God. It is joy before the Lord. It is joy in what God is doing. So here's what, here's what uh, Luke is saying, what Gabriel is saying to Zechariah and Elizabeth. He said, okay, now you're going to have joy because you're going to have a son. And that's going to give you joy and you're going to dance. And that's great. That's awesome. But there's going to be a deeper joy. 
beyond your personal joy. There is going to be joy in the fact that God is moving, that God is acting, that God is able, that God has done something in you and will do something through you so that, the second part of verse 13, so that many will rejoice. There will be many. There will be more than just Zechariah and Elizabeth. There will be more than Zechariah and Elizabeth and their family. There will be more than Zechariah and Elizabeth, their family, and their village. There's going to be many who will rejoice, which is a third word for joy in this passage. Zechariah and Elizabeth saw that God was personally, intimately involved in their personal plan. That, that, that his plan for their life was, was very practical. You're going to have a baby. But they also saw that God's purpose was bigger than them. It included them, but it was bigger than them. That they're going to give birth to a son. They're going to call him John. He's going to be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. He is going to turn the people of Israel back to the Lord God Almighty. He is going to, he is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, he, through his message and through his ministry, he is going to turn the hearts of the fathers toward their children. He's going to turn the hearts of the, uh, of the disobedient back toward the, the wisdom of righteousness. There's going to be something happening through this guy, and it's going to change the world because he's going to point people to Jesus, and they're going to have joy upon joy upon joy. You see, when, when we live in the hope of God's interve- uh, intervention, knowing that God is going to move. And we believe that movement is going to happen in our lives. And we live our lives in faithfulness to God and anticipating that movement. Then we have joy. We have joy in what God does for us. And then we have got joy in what God is doing around us and through us. Guys, one of the reasons we don't have joy in our personal lives is because we only can see what makes us dance. But we fail to see God's larger purpose to change the world, to give hope to the hopeless, to give life to the lifeless, to give salvation to those who are still in their chains. We're joyless because we see God personally intervening, but we fail to understand the broader purpose. Or we're joyless because we're hopeless. As followers of Jesus, we, we look at ourselves and we say, well, we're just too old. How can this happen? We're just too old. And Gabriel says, dude, I'm Gabriel. God sent me here. I'm speaking to you right now. You know, I realize that there are some things that happen in our lives that, that derail us in a big way and, and, and have a tendency to rob us of hope. You know, John the Baptist came, and everything that John the Baptist came to do was to point people to Jesus because Jesus was salvation, is salvation. John the Baptist came and he said, okay, here's what what I'm going to do. I'm here and I'm going to preach the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm going to call you to repentance. Why? Because you need to be ready for Jesus, the son of God, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You need to see Jesus. In John chapter one, verses uh, six through nine, it says that John came and and he was not that light that gives life light, uh, light and life to men. 
John the Baptist came and and he was merely one who pointed people to the light. Look to Jesus, he said. Look to Jesus, he said. See Jesus and have your lives changed. You're here today and you're like Zechariah and Elizabeth and and you're just, I, I don't know the name of it. Maybe it is childless. Maybe you just feel pointless. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's betrayal. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's, maybe it's depression. Maybe it's your longing for something to happen that has not yet happened. I, I don't know the name of it in your world. But I understand it in mine. And I've walked that season, and I will walk that season again where it's hard to have hope. There are days, right, where it's just hard to have hope, even as a follower of Jesus. So I'm thinking to myself, how in the world can I communicate to you, to my to my girls, to my wife, how can I communicate what, what I need to do to taste hope today? And it comes to me in a song. I don't do songs much. But it comes to me in a song. And, and as I began to think and pray and, and just earnestly, what, what is it that that as I close out this message, as, as, I, as I want to inspire you to, to be rescued by God's hope and taste his hope, what can I share with you? What is it? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face And the things of earth will grow strangely dim In the light of his glory and grace How do we have hope? Sing it. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strange. In the light of His glory and grace. Oh God, as we have gathered here today, we see your plan to bring rescue to sinners and to give life to the lifeless. God, as we look upon your plan, we beg you for hope in our everyday lives. That you would apply personally and intimately to our own struggles. 
God, as we set our gaze upon Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, will you give your people hope today? Whatever they're going through, whatever the name of their struggle, oh God, would they look to you and find hope. That they would taste joy. Father, I pray that we would see our, our part in this wondrous story, that, that your story of rescuing love is bigger than we are, but, but we, we're part of it. And the joy of being part of your story would give us hope. God, do something in the hearts of your people gathered here as we respond to your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.